What the wrong button? Wrong button. Hey, <laughs> where's my stinger? <laughs> I, stu- I, I suck today. Where's my stinger? Hit it. Oh man. Okay, let's go back. Welcome to the Between Realities VR podcast. We have a stinger. Yes. We have that baby. Oops. And we're going to use it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Alex VR. I am one of the hosts of this show. There are two hosts of this show. The other one is sitting here next to me. His name is Skiva. Skiva, how are you, my good sir? Dude, I'm so good. It's a great day. It is a great day. Yep. It's a busy day. It is. You've been busy today. It is. Working, making things happen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's been pretty awesome. We've been working. We've yep. been making things happen. Yep. All right. And I know everybody here in chat with us is also probably working. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> making things happen, right? And we appreciate you guys for coming here and hanging out with us we do. while we make this we stuff We do. Happen. Absolutely. <laughs> like Paradise Decay. Who I've got as first in the chat today. It looks like you do too. Heck yeah. Paradise Decay, we love you dearly. P. And I Diddy. know I know you must have rearranged your video uh, release schedule in order for this to happen. So thanks, baby. We love you. Ben Dixon's here. What's up, dude? Ben Dixon and Stephanie Greenall is here. Thank you for joining. Uh, Chroma Snare. Yeah, dude. It's live now, baby. Come on. We're here, dude. Heck yeah. Mike Newton says the weekend. You're goddamn oh, yeah. right. You're oh, yeah. Goddamn right. Mike Newton, the weekend is here. Pabark actually gets to see a Between Realities Live. Let's go Boom. with a $10 super chat. Super chat. Oh, my God. I did it. I hit the right button. It Good was the first time job. ever. So thank you, Pabark, for uh, your support. We love you very much. And um, you should have waited, you know, while we were live, at least like on the show, you know, to drop that cash. But either way, we love you. Just have to drop it again. <laughs> You'll have to just, you just keep <laughs> donating. Just keep, just keep doing it. Uh, Short Stack's here. Yo, what's, what's up, up man? Short Stack? Wolf Raza is here. Yo. What up? Thank you guys for joining us live. And thank you all. Uh, Mepper as well, Mepper, right? Sliding in here. Homie. We've got a few extra people, I'm sure, sliding into chat right now as we are <clears throat> getting up and running. Mm-hmm. Paradise Decay says today's video has been hecking mode for six hours. It's still checking. Oh, checking. Oh, mm. dude. Yeah, we're all under the uh, the iron fist of Google. Yeah. So yeah, that we are happens yep. to the best of us yep. and the worst of us, Yep, but also the best of us. <laughs> um, all right, man. So today we have another very exciting guest because we always have very exciting guests here on uh, between realities. Don't we? We do, man. Only the best. We you know, go out and, and, and pick the people that are really making big impacts on VR and we try to bring them to you guys so we can learn. We can learn about them, what drives them, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of this awesome stuff, what they're doing. So, Super stoked. Azrael13. Hey, y'all. Little cat popping out of the box. Very cute okay. emoji. Great emoji choice. And we also have Laszlo216. Cleveland represent. Cleveland represent. Hey, so before we pull our guest in, yes. you know, we mentioned earlier that we had a busy day, and I just want to tease it. Well, let's tease it after because I have a graphic set up for, for, for after. Okay. I can't do it on this well, scene. Well, then no more, no more teasing. <laughs> okay. No more teasing in this moment. But today's guest is, uh, is a, a man that wears many hats. Is, and that's kind of what I said in our description here today. Um, you know, a musician, filmmaker, actor, and uh, probably the reason why he's joining us today is the, he is the founder of uh, VRTO, a Toronto-based virtual reality expo and conference um, that has, from what I can tell, um, 
kind of like done a good job of uh, focusing on like the aspects of VR that kind of need a little bit of attention, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited to uh, to talk to him. Heck yeah, me too, right. man. So everybody, yes. please, please welcome to Between Realities, Karam, 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 Karam. Yep. Yes, it's Karam. <laughs> Karam Maliki Sanchez. Hello, Karam. Hey, what's happening? Good to see you guys. You too. You too, man. I'm so happy that that you're here with us today. Thanks for taking time out of your day to pop onto the ship with us and uh, do this little thing. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Pabark dropping another $10, you dirty bastard. Oh, wow. $10 super chat from Pabark live dono. Let's go again. Thank you, dude. Thank you, man. That we were joking. Thank you. But we, I guess we we're half joking, right? <laughs> I don't know. Either way, we love you, dude. Thank you for, for being here and uh, donating. Um, so um, I guess we should talk uh, we should. A, a little bit. Okay, yes. Right? You want to do our thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've, yeah. So, so we definitely have been um, talking to people and making some things happen, right? And, um, right, so while we will not spill the beans completely um there is maybe maybe you can yeah i probably can we'll show the image first uh th- what what image there's no image here oh, i thought uh, you said you had an image it's oh. just a little a little tease of, oh. a, of, a, of a thing I, so I don't know. there's a thing there's an image right here that's popping up on the screen i mean it's kind of popping up on the screen we have been in talks with the people behind this image not this one this one about uh official collaborations between between realities and the people who are behind this image. So we're really excited about the potential of what may be coming. Um, we will spill a little bit more information about this on our next episode as we continue to kind of figure out which direction exactly this is going to be going. Um, but you can look forward to some official collaborations between Between Realities and whoever it is that's behind this image pretty damn soon. Heck yeah, man. I am so stoked. We're really excited about it. And um, that's all we're going to say for now. Yep. Okay. That's it. Get ready because shit is probably going to get real. Get ready. So anyway. Karim, VRTO. I think maybe we should start with, uh, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about you first, right? Like you have had quite the journey and I'm sure you could go on at length about, uh, about your path to kind of how you've gotten here today. But, um, you know, we, we've just met, so maybe you can kind of uh, just give us a little bit of your background and kind of uh, how you landed where you are today in the world of VR. Okay, I'll give you a short version of it. Um, in 20, uh, no, sorry, 1994, I saw Jaron Lanier talk at the University of Toronto about... Um, inventing the phrase virtual reality. Um, I was about 17 years old at the time, and uh, my friend was reading a lot of Douglas Rushkoff and um, said, hey, there's this flyer, let's go see this VR guy talk. And the first night, uh, he gave a lecture, and he talked about how he was getting out of VR because he was opposed to money from the industrial military complex coming into the industry. And he really believed in the um, altruistic, creative potential of it, which left its first mark on me. And then he talked about his favorite book that influenced him, which was called Finite and Infinite Games by James Carse. 
And uh, Finite and Infinite Games is a short 100-and-something page book, which everybody should totally check out, um, about the difference between what a finite game is and what an infinite game is. And a finite game is a game that's generally played to have a winner and a loser, and thereby you require strategy and you need tactics. And the loser is eliminated from further play, and the hero is monumentalized and turned into a trophy, and so on. Whereas an infinite game is a game like a baton race, where what you're trying to do is carry the baton and hand it off to the next person so that they can carry on for you. And it goes on forever. And there are countless uh, finite games that we play in everything that we do, but there's only one infinite game. And that obviously left a lifelong impression on me. And the next night he played a concert at the Glenn Gould Theater in Toronto. And he pulled out all of his crazy ancient flutes and pipes and fifes and piccolos and then did this just otherworldly piano improvisation. Um, I played piano. I played a lot of piano when I was a kid, but I'll tell you, there was something really weird about his style. Then he put on a Nintendo Power Glove and this giant VR headset, and he went into... He flew into a comet, pointing two fingers to fly forward and a flat hand to fly backward. And inside the comet, there was um, a bunch of AI instruments. This is 1994, okay? I was going to say, like, which year? Because wow. I'm like, trying to imagine what this looks like. In, in 1994? <laughs> yeah. Damn. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and it actually looked pretty good. I mean, from what I remember, it looked like a, the equivalent of a low-poly sax you'd find on Turbo Squid. And uh, he called it the Cyber Sax. And because, of course, we were pure Gen X at the time, and it was all about cyber sex and cyber this and cyber that. Mm -hmm. So it was a play on words. And the cyber sax actually had a tail, or it's, you know, the, the part that you, the, the neck of it was actually like living, and it was a tail, and it would fight back as he tried to play it. So already there we were seeing... Um, very primitive AI, but interactions with these objects and a level of creativity that I still wish I was finding um, when it comes to, let's say, musicality in VR. Um, so that was the beginning for me. And then uh, I had a whole life and stuff and things happened in junk. And in the 2000s, um, I was running um, PHP-driven forums uh, through a site called Freedom, and it was basically before Facebook or Friendster, we had these forums where you could do private messaging and DMing and do attachments, and we'd have all these threads, and we were constantly extrapolating and, and improving the code. Um, and that community was really amazing, and it continues till this day. Some of those people we called Sky Pirates, and shout out to the Sky Pirates. And all of this laid the foundation for building communities in virtual space. So um, around 2007, I started IndieGameReviewer.com, which was my love for independent game development. And little did I know, or maybe I did know, that we were about to hit a serious golden age renaissance of independent game development. So we saw things like Braid and Fez and Super Meat Boy and um, Space Giraffe and all this stuff happen. And then the Xbox Live Indie platform happened and we started seeing indies just rise up from, you know, obscurity and turn it into a cottage industry. So 
I still, to this day, am editor-in-chief of IndieGameReviewer.com. We've got currently seven writers in three countries, but we've had more or less. Um, and we've been covering indie games every day, every week for the last, how many years is that? Tw 20 years. Um, and that's been an incredibly enriching journey. So I would go to the IndieCade Festival, um, which I discovered in Culver City starting around 2008 or 9, and grew up with that community and watched them have this little grassroots indie, indie festival um, that included what they called night games where you would have like big interactive in-person, you know, zombie walks and like giant sushi making things and whatever it was. But a lot of those people came from like USC School of Design or um, just the, the sort of Silicon Beach companies in in LA and you know California where I've lived since 1996 is that nexus of comic books and surf punk and rat fink and Disney and tech and money and all of those things and subcultures um, so this is the cauldron out of which my events grew really honestly and I split my life between Los Angeles and all of its elements and Toronto, the East Coast, where my family is. And Toronto itself is an incredibly multicultural city. Um, Toronto is the city where, because it's big and because it's like south of Chicago on a map, um, all the bands go and play. If they're going to play one stop in Canada, they're going to go to Toronto. So we would get everything good there. Um, and and you know there's an incredible tech culture i mean toronto is the birthplace in many ways of wearable technology when you have people like steve mann and then you've got ai growing out of u of t and it's um in a very very important center for these emergent technologies and so um around 2013 i'm at indicade i'm going to the national association of broadcasters conference nab which I was introduced to by my mom. My mom was uh, on a couple of Canadian funding organizations for film and media arts. And she would drag me out to Vegas to go to the NAB show every year. For anybody who doesn't know, NAB is like CES, but for the film and TV and VFX industry. So we would get to see things like two or three years before they hit. Um, you know, I remember sitting five feet from James Cameron when he was like super bullish on 3D TV, for example, or when like Lytro presented the first um, light field capture camera, which was the size of a small Fiat. Um, and then I would meet those people in the halls. I'd meet Ray Kurzweil, or I'd meet John um, Carafin from Lytro and talking about light field projection or whatever it was. And I had this like total front edge seat to what was coming two, three years hence, right? Because CES is consumers. It's, it's by the time it's been productized, it's commercialized. But right. NAB, we're talking like early prototype, early policy makers. We're talking about Sanjit talk, you know, trying to change the rules around internet and IP, ISPs and um, bandwidth. Anyway, this is a long sentence. Um, but circa 2013 i'm at nab i'm in a back 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 room because they've got to talk about immersive technology in vr and i go to the back of the south hall i mean it was like 40,000 steps on my pedometer 
and there's somebody from Weaver, and there's somebody from Theta Camera, and there's like four or five people um, that eventually became titans in the VR industry, and at the time were just fledgling companies. You know, they were talking about this this experience called the Blue that they had just finished making, and. Um, on the drive home from Vegas to LA, I remember registering virtualreality.to, which, fun fact, that domain is actually the domain for Tonga. I hope Tonga is will recover quickly and safely, but now everybody knows what Tonga is. Nobody knew what Tonga was when I'd registered .to. To is what you call Toronto, Ontario, T. You know, Drake has sort of made it more famous. The six represent. <laughs> so I registered virtualreality.to and I registered, no, I didn't register the other one yet. And then I went back to Toronto for the summer, started a meetup group called VRTO. And within a year, we had launched our first world conference and we did it at because like I just love jumping out of planes blindfolded we did it at Maple Leaf Gardens you know home of the Toronto Maple Leafs for years and years um, I figured hey why not go big and go to the spiritual center of the city and just drop down this VR yeah. bomb which is what we did and it was actually amazing like there was all these companies in VR that we're in Toronto that had no real home yet. And all of a sudden there they are lining the halls and people flying in from LA and people who to this day I consider dear family. Everybody from Brett Leonard, you know, director of Lawnmower Man showed up and Samantha Matthews and um, Chris Babotis who created Metal, which is now part of Adobe Premiere, all of the 360 tech and so many names like Tim Dashwood who had this editing tool for 360 video but then went on to be uh, subsumed by Apple never to be heard from again um, and all these amazing personas and at that show we ran a, a pavilion called Five R's the Festival of International Virtual and Augmented Reality Stories so in the timeline 2015 I start VRTO, and then within three months in October, I launched the Festival of VR and AR Stories. And we did it in the fall so that it could run directly with the Toronto International Film Festival, which is the largest film festival in the world. And publicists would be like, you're doing what now? You're running up against 300 film premieres and George Clooney and stuff? And I was like, yes, because the whole planet is coming to the city. Let's push VR into their faces and that's what we did. So we ran it into in a little club right beside the main light box theater. And um, the first year we were like, let's charge, I don't know, $10. And uh, so we did, and people came. Um, my co-producer, Stephanie Greenall, represent, she was there. She was one of the first ticket buyers. I didn't even know her at the time. And uh, people wandered in and they put on Gear VRs with their Samsung Galaxy S7 phones, probably. <laughs> and I think we had some DK1s, you know, first-gen prototype developer uh, rifts. And we showed about, I don't know, 25 pieces. And we created menus and we figured out how do you queue people up and how do you do hygiene and... How do you create tickets so that there's no lineups? And immediately we were actually a UX festival. We were, we were thinking, how do you make this comfortable? How do you give people 
privacy and discretion, but also enjoy watching their reactions. And ever since then, I've thought of Five R's as a UX think tank. How do you how do you show this stuff? How do you surface things and things that are not going to be necessarily commercially viewed? Which brings us to the present. So now it's like eight years later, and Five R's in twenty. 20 because of covid like you know and vrto we're sitting there ready to put on our big in-person conferences i think they were 800 to a thousand attendees at the time we were taking over whole universities and then all of a sudden 2019 there's some kind of weird bug going around yeah. and we watch Sundance fall, we watch South by fall, we watch Tribeca fall, we watch all these things in front of us, GDC fall, and I'm like, oh shit, what are we gonna do? And I was lucky enough to have been at a Christmas party um, in LA and I saw a lot of the glitterati of VR and I met Kathleen Cohen and she introduced me back to my, my friend Liam Broza who was building some kind of web averse thing. And I said, hey, do you think I could put my conference on in there? And they were going to help us. They were going to set us up, but um, they just didn't have the bandwidth at the moment. So I was like, okay, well, thanks for introducing me to Hubs, uh, Mozilla Hubs. And right at that moment, Mozilla Hubs launched Cloud, which was a turnkey white label um, solution powered by AWS or DigitalOcean where you could spin up your own hub server. So I was like, I'm going to learn everything in six weeks <laughs> and we're going to pivot and we're going to try to make all of these ticket buyers not um, get a refund because <laughs> that would ruin us and that would be the end of everything. Jeez. So <laughs> I taught myself Blender and I found designers and I taught myself hubs and I taught myself AWS and I had a heap of support from people. And then we were like, bonsai, let's go. And so once again, here we are jumping out of a plane blindfolded, holding a pair of like wild chihuahuas. Um, and, you know, just to make up for it, we were like, why don't we run it for, I think my friend Galit sort of put this bug in my ear. She's like, why don't we run this for like four weeks instead of just three days? And it was going to be like, yeah, we'll do it every Monday. It'll be like summer camp, except... More speakers wanted to come in because they didn't have to fly in. There was no carbon footprint. We were like, hey, we could run people morning till night. And we ended up running a conference, I mean daily, for 30 straight days. Wow. Wow, <laughs> man. Wow. Okay, and on top of that, I am in Toronto because I fled L.A. before they shut the border down. Because I was like, I don't know what this is. There's no vaccine. At the time, we thought, oh, it's droplets. As long as you're four feet away from people, the spit will fall on the table and you'll be safe. And everybody was, you know, like washing their vegetables with bleach and shit. Like, it was a weird <laughs> time. I know because I wrote it all down for my Patreon followers. Like, I'm going to write a novella about this, like, post-apocalyptic thing we're doing. So I have, like, a daily document of the bizarreness of that time. You bleaching your vegetables, Skiva? Uh, no. <laughs> People were bleaching their vegetables. They, I mean, that's before wow. they started injecting bleach, but we won't yeah, get into right. all that. Yeah. So, um, which was totally Gen X, by the way. I mean, Kurt Cobain would have approved. Anyway, so um, do not inject bleach into yourself. Don't do it. Ever. Don't do it. Don't Ever. eat it. Don't mm -mm. inject it. Mm -mm. Yeah. Don't good. do anything with it. Yeah. You don't need don't it. Maybe wash it. your whites. That's about it. <laughs> so um, anyway, 
my parents at that point were stuck on a cruise ship that started in the Emirates and was supposed to visit South Africa. And they obviously get stuck on this cruise ship. And now they're just circling for this whole time. And my uh, family, my siblings were like, you can't come home. You're from L.A. You probably got the plague. So stay at the office. So my dad's got a file storage office and I'm living in the basement on like a mattress, like, you know, just total dingy fallout three fucking the worst imaginable thing and i'm like projecting animal crossing on the wall with my projector from my conference which isn't happening so i could feel like i'm in a caribbean environment <laughs> running vrto and i'm like my days are like 22 straight hours i'm sleeping an hour or two a day so yeah we ran that conference and it was epic and only one person asked for a refund because they panicked that they were not going to have a job ever again and it was amazing and and we felt like we were there and people would show up every day in this cloud city and it was a fully embodied experience summer camp for vr and that was 2020 and then by the end of that year i was like okay now let's do this with five hours with our festival but I knew that hubs couldn't do spherical video, let alone quickly or well. They could do equi photos, but that was about it. So I went to my friends at Janus, who I had invited to present at VRTO. Janus was a you know, software that was created by James McRae at University of Toronto. He was a student there. Now he's the CTO of Magic Leap. But at the time, he was a student at U of T. And he was being taught by a guy named Dr. Karan Singh, who was one of the co-creators of Maya, frankly. And so they had this platform called Janus, which if you look at the very first, like, Facebook keynotes, uh, Facebook Connect or whatever about this uh, metaverse thing, or... I guess about the quest at the time or the rift or whatever it was before fa yeah right after facebook spent three billion dollars three billion or six billion three billion three billion i thought it was only i was it three or I'm three or sure. four billion something like that we're close we're close it was a pittance because now microsoft yes. bought activision for 70 billion I so that's money absolutely <laughs> insane yeah, wow. at the time we were like, holy shit, $3 billion for VR, all of VR. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, anyway, so, you know, and those initial keynotes, uh, you can see the Janus logo prominently behind Zuck's head. Um, but they, you know, they couldn't find the audience, they couldn't find the, the commercialized path for it, so eventually they ran of runway, and what happened was a guy named James Bakuyanu mercifully took the code, which had been open sourced, and he converted it for the web, for WebXR. And James is a frickin' genius. Hi, James, if you're out there. Um, and he is a martyr because he's given up way too many hours pro bono to maintain Janus as Janus Web, or Janus XR as it's now called. Now, my story is I brought the Janus people into VRTO year one. And because maybe because they were in Toronto, because I don't know, because they were one of the only things going at the time for social VR, whatever the reasons, they were like doing workshops year one at VRTO, teaching people how to build what was then called, I guess, web VR or web 3D spaces. And um, it, it was fast. I met, uh, I met the guy named, known as Jin, at a meetup in LA, downtown, 
he was presenting a way to do spherical video in the web where he had an entire Christmas tree and every ball on that tree was a video sphere and he was moving in and out of them seamlessly in real time. I was like, what is this? That's cool. And this is like 2015 and it's already that fast. And it's because there's no bloat. There's no, it's just lean as F. And he's talking about putting the whole of the world, the whole build um, onto a 16 gig thumb drive, shoving the thumb drives into the gaps between bricks and buildings downtown and building a local mesh net that's totally offline and you just have like a metaverse that's just locally mesh netted between thumb drives. So talk about being off the grid, um, the dark, dark averse. Um, <laughs> that's where we started, right? And so then Janice comes back every year, year three in 2017, Samantha Matthews comes to Toronto and is like, we're going to teach everybody what Janice is. We're going to do Janice camp. And they're like at Home Depot buying trees and bringing them in and building campfires inside of this university at, at Ryerson. And like people like Alex Lifeson from Rush are walking in and people from the news are walking in and they're like, what? is going on here it's just this room of freaks doing like vol cap and like nyan cats and just <laughs> shit flying around in space and they're like this is on the internet anyway so all that to say when it's 2020 and my back is up against the wall and hubs can't do spherical video and five hours needs to showcase stuff in an embodied way and not do a freaking zoom call i go to janice and I'm like, let's do a thing. Let's like use your super duper speedy way of streaming video. And one more magical thing happened is the Canadian Film Center, who had been longtime supporters of ours because they were very media forward, said, we don't have a lot of money now because everything's collapsed, but we'll give you um, an, an in to an incubator, an accelerator program we have that will unlock 25 grand an Amazon Web Service credit for you for two years. You'll be like a startup. I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I can use it to buy a sandwich, but I'll take it. <laughs> so now we have 25 grand worth of fake Amazon money to spend instead of spending it all on bandwidth and making huge freaking mistakes to try this thing out. So James hooks up a Janus instance to AWS, which now I'm familiar with because of Hub's cloud. And we build, like, we decide, how does this work? We look at companies like Within, and we're looking at Little Star, and we're like, how do you build a video kiosk in VR that's not going to be just, like the same shit we've already seen? And is interesting, and is dynamic, but is ultimately highly performant. Like, you go in, and it's like instant on video, which is fine, because AWS uses, uses HLS, which is a way of streaming video in four-second increments. That's why Amazon is powered by, I mean, Netflix, Hulu, Crackle, all that stuff is powered by AWS using this exact system. Except they cap out at 4K, and we're dealing with 4K stereo, so we're dealing with 8K files that are like 20 gigs. And we got to pull them down in real time. And Amazon's got like a ceiling. And they're like, nope, we don't go above 3840 per frame. So we're like, okay, well, we'll do a step down through the transcode. So basically, the video will start at max. And then depending on if the user's on desktop or mobile or a quest or whatever it is, it'll start dropping down until it finds a reasonable playback rate. 
Um, and it took us like three five hours until we recoded that to say, and if it craps out, but your bandwidth improves, we'll circle back to the best original format. So I don't know if a lot of people will appreciate this from the outside necessarily, what wiring is under the hood, but I can tell you and this audience that really a lot of the stuff that happened with five R's was like, there was nobody in front of us, like, which is a scary place to be. Cause you're like, why are we doing this? This is stupid. Nobody cares. Like who gives a shit about 360 video? Nobody cares about WebXR. They're all playing Beat Saber. Facebook took the whole thing over. Everybody's talking about the metaverse. Fuck it. Let's go home. But what happens <laughs> is people from around the world are submitting to five R's. They've more so than in North America, they're hearing about us and they're telling their friends and we're getting submissions from Kazakhstan and Malaysia and Taiwan and South Korea and Argentina. And we're like, this actually is fascinating. There's a really incredible work that looks nothing like the North American stuff hitting us in all these modalities. So then I learned how to uh, make a UV map in Blender for a dome. And I said, can we just like target that UV map and project dome stuff on it? And James was like, sure. And so we did. And now we have dome shows and now we could satisfy the entire dome building community internally in WebXR with no buffer time directly in the web. And I'll close by saying, by the end of it, uh, James was like, hey, guess what I did? I incorporated the Ready Player Me SDK, and now we've got fully articulated, full-body avatars, and you can, like, just sign into your Ready Player Me account and bring your avatars directly into 5R's land. And I was like, bingo! It's all there now. It's nice. all there. So, anyways, that's the journey, and the next 5R's is coming up in February, so we now do them twice a year. We do them in the fall, which is like a legacy to, you know, the Toronto Film Festival time frame. And we do them in February because, frankly, there's all this amazing work that doesn't get into Sundance and Tribeca and South By that also needs to get seen. And we are here to help uh, capture and showcase it. All right. That's the end of my sentence. Wow. So, so next sentence. month. Yeah. February 21st through February 28th. Now, wow. this is all online, right? This, this five hours, this next upcoming one. Um, actually, you know, I'm going to say some stuff on this show today that nobody knows yet. So All right. we are going to do, I have a bunch of cool stuff to reveal on the show. So one of the things is in, um, in the fall of 2021, just now, uh, I was back in LA and I was like, you know what? I can't travel to Canada. So I'm not going to do my annual six month pilgrimage where I go six months, Toronto, six months, Canada. I'll just stay in LA where I live. And my friend had a gallery right in West Hollywood. And I said, guess what, dude, I'm gonna borrow your gallery and put on a festival. It's not gonna bother anybody. These people are gonna be dead silent. They're gonna be blindfolded and they'll be totally absorbed. So don't worry about that. And we ran five R's in West Hollywood for the first time in our history. And it was epic because people like Joanna Popper from HP could just drop in. It was in her backyard. And you know, John Canning from Digital Domain, who's now heading up the developer relations at AMD, taking over for Roy Taylor. Um, and, you know, Dario Laverde came from uh, New York, from HTC, to come and check out his wife's piece, uh, or his partner's piece, Carol, at 5Rs. And all of a sudden you have this, like, cluster of, like, key people in VR hanging out together, very carefully and masked, in this gallery. And it was just totally beautiful. Then we ran two weeks of onlineness. 
So what it taught me was like, there's some things you just have to do in person. In particular, there's certain builds that we receive that just can't be out in the wild. You know, they're too proprietary and we can't just be out like handing out executable files everywhere. So we do our due diligence to make sure that people can see things in person. And so we'll be doing um, local very limited showcases for people in LA and in Toronto simultaneously, which will be nice to be back in our Toronto home turf. Um, you'll be able to do five hours experiences in Toronto and LA. Um, and also we'll have a one week online show because five hours in Feb is more of a satellite show than the big tent pole one in the fall. But what extends it is I've all these wonderful people in immersive performance now that reach out to us. And what we do is we'll say, okay, give us two shows and then people will be able to go not just in five hours online land, but they'll also by extension, their ticket will include the opportunity to check out something from onboard XR. Um, this show I'm going to announce right now, we're welcoming a performance from severance theory. Um, and also we are talking to the people at the reconnect festival who are going to give us a piece from Iran, which is a live VR performance that happens in hubs and styly of all things. So, Five hours like VRTO is not a destination. It's a hub. It's a flotilla where things suddenly tether together from many different platforms. And we expose you to those works and those communities and create a synchronized uh, flashpoint for conversation about the, cult, the, the, the greater culture, not of VR tech, but of the world that we live in as empowered by immersive technology. Want to go to LA next month? I want to go to LA next month. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> feel, feel free to send us an invitation. We'll come out to LA. Yeah, that would be, man, this uh, sounds amazing. Sounds absolutely amazing. So I'm, I'm kind of curious like where your head's at when it comes to virtual events versus in-person events then, you know, because, you know, there's been a lot of people who have uh, put on virtual events in the past few years, right? And some do it more successfully than others. And it's great to hear that you've had um, a, an amazing experience pulling off this kind of thing, you know, but I am curious as to like what your overall feelings are when you start to see some of these in-person conferences shift into virtual format. And, you know, like, I'm sure there are like pros and cons to both as far as you're concerned, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the cues that we get from a person's face are, let me put it this way. When you're watching a spherical film, right? People say, oh, 360 is a dead medium. Leave it behind. It's a derpy gimmick. Well, what's actually happening is there's the foveation of your attention on the center, you know, TV mode, what you're looking at that's drawing your attention. But all the other data that's hitting you is hitting parts of your sensorium that you're not aware of, frankly, in your prefrontal cortex. And it's being processed somewhere in your subconscious. And it's creating a different kind of memory bank in your body and mind than if you're just watching something that's framed. Same thing with in person, right? Like you might be paying attention to that one person and they've got like, you know, parsley in their teeth and you're talking about becoming a partner with upload or whatever you're doing, but you're still picking up all the cues. You're seeing the people walk into the bathroom, going to the beer tent, you're like the color of the carpet. All of those things have a different emotional effect. And I think that that 
it can create different dynamics. It can create emergent, interesting dynamics. Now, we do our very best in virtual space to invoke all of those same patterns. So a well done online event will do that to you. A poorly done one will feel like you're at a online virtual event. Oh, mm -hmm. look, it's Zoom, but in 3D. It's low poly, there's no textures, the lighting is basic. I'm just sort of derpily walking around in my crappy avatar, like, nin nin nin. Like, all of those things can be done, but to be done well, you have to go to a deeper psychic layer and consider what are emergent um, possibilities that are calling your attention and forming a uh, mental palace that will create higher recall, higher engagement, higher emotional recall. And in, in so doing, what you're hoping to achieve are deeper connections to people back and forth, right? Because we'll all go completely insane if we're always just skimming a low poly surface of life. Like we can't just doom scroll our way out of this problem. So sometimes you gotta sink <laughs> down under the surface and we invoke different ritualistic things at our at our shows. And I don't mean like we have like torches and like, you know, yeah. weird <laughs> things on the walls. Although we do have secret rooms and secret societies. Mm. But um, but you want something unexpected and emergent that will create um, those embodied that sense of embodied presence. And one of the things that we do is we'll have like liminal spaces. So it's not just like plonk down and here you are, entertain us, but there's usually a, a transitional space and then there's a nested dream and within the dream. And even in our real shows, like when we did five R's, you'd be putting on the gear VR, but you'd be inside of a projected cylinder. So you first enter the transfer space and then you're in the Shadowlands. And when you emerge, you're still in this like liminal space and it creates a much deeper kind of connection to the content that you're absorbing. I think that you are definitely hitting the nail on the head with that. You know, like it's interesting because like in, you know, I've done some martial arts practice and to go out and do that, like you really do need to like create the space mentally to like allow yourself to go to wherever it is that you're about to go, you know? So like there's often like I don't, every time I would do it, I would, sit down and do just like five to 10 minutes of seated meditation, just like clearing the space, you know, like creating the space mentally and physically to execute that thing. So I can be immersed into it and then standing up, putting intention into the practice and then boom, putting your knuckles into the gravel and bleeding, you know, like letting go. So I think that creating the space to allow those like transformative moments to happen is actually really important. So I love to hear that you kind of like, you know, send them into like this space where they're like um, almost like in limbo or purgatory or something. And then they get to get the real experience, dive deep, come back up, not fully back to stupid normal reality yet until I leave this cool room. And now, okay, I guess I'm back into a stupid hallway or whatever. So, right, right. I love that. Yeah. I mean, this year's design for five hours is, is again, it's uh, based on the learning of the previous ones. Um, one thing we found out is that people don't really like having 47 rooms to go to because then they're always dispersed too thinly. So it's actually better to have a central area and then within the area it's like in cinema right when you i studied um film and all that crap at ucla so one of the things that you learn is like how to have a frame within a frame or if you're a photographer you know this um there's open frame 
And that means like danger can come from any side. And then there's closed frame, like uh, any Wes Anderson movie, right? And a frame within a frame gives it structure and solidity and so on. So what you can have is a central space. And then within it, you can have nested dolls of internal spaces within which people can convene and they can get smaller and smaller into the back corner and have mm -hmm. these like little emergent conversations with each other and they go oh, let's go back out to the crowd and then they meet the medium crowd and then they go to the larger space but you're always playing with this uh diegetic which means in picture uh reframing and so when you start off in five hours you're at the top of a ramp actually and you can see the whole vista kind of like when the the doors of the train open in um um that enemy at the gate film you know it's all of a sudden like it's stalingrad and it's at war after being in this train but you start at the beginning of a ramp and you see the whole vista the panorama and you get the layout oh there's like jellyfish floating in the sky and there's like water shaders on the ceiling and there's like little you know spongebob ferns and corals down there and then you you're like i'm gonna join the party and then you descend down into the social aspect and then you enter this hall and in the hall you now have these semicircular kiosks which are breaking it up between arts animation nonfiction, whatever and there's windows indicating that there's a world beyond that again and so all of this is by design there's a great book called uh the architectural approach to level design um that people could look at. It's a nice thick book about how architects would approach game level design. Um, I read it after learning these things, but I'm really, really glad I, I, I'm reading it. And, you know, just the exploration of like psychogeography and walking through a city and understanding that it's not just a city, it's not random buildings and sidewalks and, and power lines that are just put there for no reason. Like there was a city planner and then there was time there was entropy on that space and there are neighborhoods and communities that are nested inside and if you turn a corner and go into a strip mall all of a sudden you're going to find the best thai restaurant on the planet by first generation immigrants who've been holding this place down for 20 years and it's not on any phone book right that's emergent sort of discovery mm -hmm. and that's called the psychogeography it's the graffiti it's the neighborhood it's the change of weather it's like the, the division lines between the the affluent and the non-affluent and that is a story that's being told to you and if we're not doing that with immersive media then what are we doing right. like that is intrinsically the narrative of immersive media is that psychogeographical component have you guys like because i haven't been to uh the um 5r festival i haven't been to vrto in person or digitally um but i have attended a handful of digital conferences i know skiva has too and i've been to vrto digitally <clears throat> oh did you mm -hmm. good job so maybe you can kind of speak to this a little bit too then um you know a lot of i see a lot of uh these events kind of going on in different platforms alt space is one that people seem to use regularly um but the problem for me with alt space and we actually just talked about this a little bit with joanna popper uh, a couple days ago um is the like the whole like layered instance situation right where like if i just attend i don't know if i'm getting put into the same instance as everybody else who's attending mm. and to me that creates this huge disconnect like i don't feel like i'm going to the event i'm in like one copy of it and i'm like looking for my fr my friends through them um but it, it doesn't really sound like that's been too much of an issue for you guys are you able to get a lot of people in in a, in a space together um well the you 
you can get a lot of people in a space, but where it caps out is when you're dealing with like WebRTC and like VoIP, basically, like you get 20 people in a room and the VoIP is just going to crap everything out and it's going to slow everybody down. So one thing that we actually had for a beautiful, sweet moment <laughs> was we incorporated the high fidelity uh, API from um, Phil Rosedale. So high fidelity was like a spatial audio um, yeah, platform that you could use to incorporate VoIP into your WebXR thing. And it was much more robust. Like you could have way more people and that was beautiful. Um, it meant we had to disable our webcam stuff that we had going because James actually for VRTO created a thing where your avatar can have a little webcam version of you up above it. Whatever. So that was great. But then all of a sudden Hi-Fi was like, hey, we're not doing this anymore. Like what? What? Like yeah. I was like, can we rent it? Can we license it? Like no, we're just gonna pivot. And now all of a sudden, Phil Rosedale's like back at Second Life, talking about the metaverse all over again. So I don't know if they didn't find it soon enough, or if it's because Twitter suddenly has like Clubhouse built into it, or what happened. But um, th that's that's kind of like your upper limit, that glass ceiling. Now. If you do look at the way Fortnite does like the Travis Scott concerts, you know, they're like, oh, we had 40 million people watch this. They're just instancing it. Everybody's in an 18 person pod and they're all simultaneously having this experience. And then they can talk across certain platforms. Like the way we handle that is we typically have like a, a Discord, a very vibrant Discord community. That's like the like the walkie talkie back end, the spine that runs across whatever platform we're in. So. Like at VRTO, we had this beautiful gallery created by Melody Owen um, that was doors to like styly occupy white walls, uh, spaces in VR chat, just to show the limitations of interoperability, but like what it's like to jump between worlds, crypto voxels, all this stuff. Um, but obviously, like as soon as you jump from one world to the other, all sorts of stuff is different. This is not to go into a whole thing, but this is why game developers are like, would you stop with this fucking NFTs are going to be like inter, you know, like you're going to drag your NFT asset from this game to that game to the other game. They're like, they're not even at the same scale. Like mm -hmm. they don't use the same tech in any way. It's going to it be you have to like restart the game industry to make that happen, which can happen. Anyway, I'm talking too fast. But the point is. <laughs> It caps out with some of those WebXR technologies, and you can mitigate the challenge or the problem of instancing by having a back channel. Um, there is a company called Pluto that works on this problem, right? They're they're basically like an overlayer of VR, so you have your your homies that you're talking to on walkie-talkie as you spelunk through different VR worlds, and that's kind of the dream is to have this like safety platform for you and your buds and and then you can like hop between worlds but that's mm -hmm. not an answer to your question of like scale like you you know sansar tried to answer this on a panel i was on where they're like how do you have 300 people simultaneously in the thing um there's limits there's like for a reason you know you're drawing a lot of stuff at the same time from a lot of different perspectives at the same time and uh, that's going to cause trouble. Um, somebody will probably tell you that 5G will solve this shit, but we're not there yet. <laughs> no. So do you, do you see it like in our foreseeable future, though? You know, like, I mean, where, like, how far out are we from having a 300 person VR event where everyone's there and the VoIP works and, you know, it's all synced up and it feels good? I mean, 
I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one, man. Yeah. But there's a lot of smart people. That's what I want. This stuff. That's what I want. Of course, I want to jump of in course. with 300 people and all yeah. roam the halls in real time. You yeah, know? with with facial tracking and body haptics yeah, eye and tracking. You know, we will get there. It's but it's going to take time. It's not going to be tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think I think what they're doing with WebXR right now and and what Mozilla Hubs is doing is very very important. You know, we need a way we need a way to 3Dify the internet. Right. I want yeah. to go there and I want to look at it on a flat screen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they are they're They're doing they're doing a fantastic job. And, you know, I, I got to hang out inside of um, some of the virtual worlds at uh, VRTO. Mm-hmm. Uh, did an interview situation with uh, Max Noir um, inside the VRTO um, 3D Mozilla Hubs environment. Super awesome. Um, and uh, I can definitely see this taking off and you know like like we've talked about with neos right neos is implementing shared web browsing so you can have shared um uh, web xr experiences together where you can be in in a centralized hub like neos right and then and, and then, then all of a sudden go and then you both boom you're teleported through the internet across to web xr experiences now a lot of people will look at web xr right now and be like oh yeah, i don't want that but but you know we are it, it's it's evolving so fast and there's so many people in awesome teams working on this that it's just going to get better and the experiences are going to get better and it's an exciting exciting thing I, really I mean, think. the one thing about WebXR, it depends what we're talking about, right? Because if you're talking about VR chat and Neos, you're talking about platforms, and platforms mm-hmm. know where they are. Like, they can control all the elements, or like, this right. is where it's at. We built this build. This is the patch. When you're in WebXR, you are on moving platforms. Um, Facebook can stretch its back and suddenly something's broken you know google can say oh we're going to change this little thing and all of a sudden it's broken and i was in a talk with james the other day and he pointed out something you know really important which is that on the other hand you can write a question to google and say hey guys like this thing is broken we're seeing a weird seam at the back of 360 videos in the oculus browser and they'll get back to you like two or three days later, they'll say, oh, sorry, we, yeah, we put a team on it. We fixed that. Thanks for telling us. Like one person can mobilize that whole department to fix the problem. And so there's actually, it's not this internal black box thing. It's a, it's a whole series of communities that are working together to solve a common problem. Um, you don't have to be open source for that to be true because we're like, as a species, we're crowdsourcing. How do I get out of flat mode right mm-hmm. um so i'm encouraged by that and when i say i don't know it's because it's like what am i going to do predict the future but i also think it could be a quantum leap that happens like i think right now we're ugh, like taping everything together and hammering it and gluing it and trying to get it down to stay on the floor but there will be a quantum leap and we'll go oh shit like now we're doing it like this and all of a sudden these questions will seem silly like just put us back in GeoCities time on a 2400 baud modem. That's where we are right now. Um, it's also why I keep doing this because there's, you know, all of a sudden Zuck says metaverse and all of a sudden every company is like a metaverse company. Oh, we're a consultant. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody who's been in it for like the last 20 years is like totally pissed. or like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Stop poisoning the well. Like it's not fun anymore, whatever. It'll, this will all pass. Like this is just a wave. It'll all settle down. But what, what matters is that we don't try to consolidate 
the vernacular, the vocabulary, the culture, the ideas. We don't say the metaverse is this, like do the opposite of that. Do the opposite of trying to define the metaverse, please. It's like way too early. If we say, oh, the metaverse is this now, when we're still like barely out the door with our jackets still half on, mm -hmm. we're gonna peg ourselves to bad ideas and bad tech. You gotta keep this thing completely fluid. Like the only reason I'm in this racket is because I have a giant sledgehammer. And I keep smashing the walls to be like, fuck that. Like it's more than this. Let's find out. Let's break it. And I'm not just being punk rock for the sake of it. Like it's it's literally way too constrictive of a of a timeline right now that you know in terms of the technology to make a decision about how it should play out. It'll True be that. far far more complex and rich. And it'll probably wrap around us at a moment where we don't detect that it's too late to go backwards again. Like, do you remember when all of a sudden internet was life? Yeah. Like, do you remember the last yeah. day before you were like, oh, now I just simply cannot live without a connection to the internet? It happened so fast. It, it really did. It, it was such a quick thing. And it was, it was that kind of quantum leap jump that you were talking about where all of a sudden it's not, it's not there. And then boom. Holy shit, yeah. my life, I can't go back to the way well, it was. We acclimate so quickly ourselves, you know? Like, I often talk about, like, how Google was a novelty when I first tried it, you know? Like, just being able to type something in to a search engine and get all this information back as a result of putting one word in there blew my mind. And I could spend an entire evening just Googling shit. You know, but like now a couple, you know, maybe a year or two after I do that, it's, it's a part of my life. It's everyday shit. It's just like, oh yeah, hold on. Let me Google that really quick. Okay. Moving on. You know, like I didn't take any time to, to immerse myself in the novelty of that experience. It's like now it's just a normal everyday kind of thing. Yeah. We right. rarely now dive below the headline. Um, it's not even a joke. It's scary. Like we'll have entire flame wars because somebody liked an anti-vax headline, no idea what the context is, no idea who put it there, no right. idea if it was a Russian bot, it doesn't matter. No one read the article. The article was probably spun up by a bot, like, uh, you know, there's like a million bots you can rent for hire on blogs right now. They'll just, they'll just write four articles a day for you. And, <laughs> um, and you know, these are, these are like grave concerns about this so-called metaverse thing. Of course, metaverse is in itself a dystopian term by design. It was designed to be a cautionary tale, as was Lawnmower Man, as was cyberspace by, you know, and cyber everything. Um, the, the um, what am I trying to say? What the frick is William Gibson's Neuromancers? I'm blanking out. Anyways, all these things are cautionary tales. These are not protopian futures that are designed to say, you're in deep shit. They're George Orwell, you know? Right. And mm -hmm. we'll start talking to bots that are AI chatbots that are wholly designed to extract any last iota of original information that may exist inside of you and weaponize it against you so that it can extract your last dollar and continue to move the pennies upward towards the 1%. It's just a fact. If we're not careful, that's the one that we'll, that we'll be in. And so consolidation is death. Like to me, homogeneity and consolidation is your peril. And you will be dominated and controlled by singular forces who will not hesitate through the level of abstraction that they are able to make themselves feel better about it. Take all your money 
and leave you dead. And they will buy every house in your neighborhood and they will buy everything around you and then rent it back to you for an annual subscription fee. Only 20% off right now if you jump in and in the yeah. next 24 <laughs> hours, which was itself generated by a bot. So be careful when you're excited about defining what the metaverse is because you're handing the tools over to the people who will take control of your last drop of original thought and Ooh, sell it back to you. Wow. Powerful shit right there. That is powerful. You know, I noticed that VRTO almost kind of like seems like it like is thematic every year, you know, like it almost seems like you guys almost have like a, I don't know, maybe not, I don't want to call it an agenda, but maybe a perspective from which you are trying to view things from. And I saw that like a few years back that like the theme or, or the focus was like the like philosophical aspects and the ethical aspects of VR. Is, is that true that you guys kind of like choose to dive into certain aspects of these things each year? Yeah, totally. Um, our second year was called standing on the shoulders of giants because we're there in Toronto and we're like, there's people who have 30 years of research in VR. And before we boldly forge ahead and say, hey, guess what I figured out? You know how like when people on Twitter now just get a headset and then they say something like, I just created the world's first painting app in VR. And you roll your eyes and you try to be polite and say, you did not create the first. So we did that. We said, why don't we ask people who've been around for 30 years and look at their research and everything first. And that's how we started. And then the second year we looked at um, blockchain and crypto and immediately people were like no oh, hex on you it's all a scam but we were like actually let's like look at the bigger picture and we had people like Glenn Cantave from Brooklyn talking about using stablecoin to track police violence in Brooklyn and creating AR monuments to those effigies and these things would be like immutably on the blockchain right so there's this thing to look at all sides. I think that same year we did a whole thing about psychedelics um, and what yeah. we can learn from psychedelics and plants and all of that and what parts of those can be applied in immersive and if it's possible to create a legitimately psychedelic experience with pixels um, and algorithms. And this is something that Brett Leonard's working on right now with um, the several organizations up in Toronto. So, hey, Aphrodite, good to see you. Hi, I just want to say hi to everybody that's here. Thanks for listening to my shit, but I'm very happy to see you all. And I recognize a lot of nice people out there. We have an amazing uh, community that's joined us here in the live chat today. Heck yeah. Dean and Chroma Snare and Shortstack and D1360VR, who I don't think ever gave us the better name to call him. So you need to do that. <laughs> and of course, uh, Stephanie Greenall and Gamertag VR snuck in here. So thank you guys all for uh, tuning in. Yeah, and, thanks. Uh, and uh, listening to Karim because Karim is obviously super fucking smart and has a lot of shit to say about this. <laughs> well, um, I want to say about Dean. Dean is amazing. Dean's a school teacher and he uses all kinds of cool stuff with VR and everything else to teach his students. Um, but he also was like a super attendee. And we did a couple of uh, machinima. If anybody doesn't know what machinima is, it's when you take like avatars in a video game and you puppeteer them and then you add voiceover later to make your own movie. Anyway, so we had like three machinima challenges. And so we'd say, you know, you have to use like a duck and a rabbit and a ox cart and you got to tell a story about, a, a, I don't know, a taco truck. And this was a way for us to get the audience to get out of their comfort zones and actually create a thing in 24 hours, like the 24 hour film jams. 
and Dean just always crushed it. Um, and the final one that I did at VRTO was we said, okay, you have to do a multi-dimensional story. So it's got to have like a zoom wall talking to the 3D world. And then he had like remote face AI avatars talking in a zoom wall, having a fight with the 3D world and hubs being filmed outside of that. And then as they zoom out, you see all these like little nested bubble worlds. I mean, talk about going above and beyond at a conference. So what's up, Dean? Good job, Dean. <laughs> we love Dean. Also, Excellent. Dean played the very first um, VR trombone solo at VRTO on Max Noir's show. Him and Misha Godet um, created a playable trombone. I should not say first. Dean, I'm sure you weren't the first. Like I literally said Jaron did this like 30 years ago. But anyway, <laughs> they created a a um, you know, movable parts trombone and then he played a live trombone solo in Hubs on Max Noir's show. He's a good wow. trombone, a good virtual trom trombonist that Dean <laughs> Yeah. Reese Reese the King has also been chilling with us and Azrael is still here and Chroma Snare and Paradise Decay. Thank you guys for um for hanging out with us. Heck yeah. So you know, I love that uh that VRTO and you and uh, everybody involved has, you know, kind of um been leading the charge with some of these like more forward thinking uh perspectives when it comes to this stuff, you know. Like I personally love to talk about like VR and psychedelic, well, not necessarily VR and psychedelics, but I believe that psychedelics and VR for, for some reason or another are a part of the same conversation. You know, like I lately, I've kind of been like thinking about VR as like a self-realization tool, you know, because for a lot of people, psychedelics are that, you know, you take psychedelics and you never realized you were alive until you did psychedelics. And you're like, holy shit, no, wait a second. I'm actually here. You know, like some people wake up by doing psychedelics. Yeah, for real. And I believe that VR has the potential of doing this, you know, especially when it comes to stuff like full body tracking, where people put a headset on and they can see their feet kicking and they can see their hands and they're like, whoa, there's my feet there's my hands, but this is not an experience that this person has ever had. You know, they were born as a baby and then they're alive and they get all this input, this sensory perception input. And then before they know it, they're a kid and they're a teenager. And maybe they never had this moment of like looking down at their fucking hands and being <laughs> like, holy shit, like he I'm here, you know? So yeah. if you can do that in VR, I think a lot of people can, will, and have potentially take the headset off and be like, wait a second. No, whoa, you know, like they think about things a little bit differently and realize, no, wait a second, here are my hands, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no, these are my actual hands, you know, and I really do see it um, as a potential tool for self-realization and, and maybe uh, like a kickstarting of spirituality or something like that. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, first of all, your show is called Between Realities. And, um, you know, what I wrote uh, a book big long essay for this Jackie Mori book where I was like, what am I gonna, she invited me to write something about VR, right? And so I said, what am I writing about? And I thought back to why I'm here. And when I was a kid, I was always that question of um, how does the mind work? Like, what is my brain and what is not my brain? And which part of this is real and which part of this is not real? And then when I was in my teens, I did lots of acid, but not a lot, like not that much, but I did enough acid to say, oh, like there's just a couple of switches in there that when they're fucked with, um, all that I know is wrong. So what that means is that what I'm looking at is a construct. And we know that it's a construct. We know that 
humans perceive certain parts of the color spectrum um, exclusively or that the green that we're looking at, like the green screen that you are sitting in front of that the audience does not see right now is green because it's acutely um, distinct from other things in the in human vision and in camera sensors. Um, there's animals that don't see color at all. There's animals that see the ultraviolet world. There's, you know, there's nothing tangible in front of us. It's floating molecules, right? So all of this reality is a construct. And what VR is, is a proxy by which we have scaffolding to be able to kind of lean away from the window ledge and go, hey, um, what happens when I pierce the veil? Now, Matrix gratefully created a very easy to parse version of this philosophical question is like, what's out there? What's beyond it? Does it matter? I remember when I was in my 20s, I had an enormous problem with an anxiety disorder, and it probably had to do with the fact that I was questioning everything. Like Gen Xers before internet, you know, we questioned everything, like everything. We questioned language, we questioned education, we questioned reality, we questioned gender, we questioned money, the government. It was like insane. And you came undone. Like it was hard to glue reality back together again. Yeah. So what VR is, is a safe proxy by which we can explore how the mind glues together a notion of a phenomenological journey. Why does this matter? Is it because you want to get screwed up? No, it's because if you understand the way in which your mind is put together, you can also understand the way in which your mind is stuck and calcified and controlled. If you can become fluid and flexible and elastic, you can expand yourself and learn new things that you're stuck not being able to see right now. You can turn a new corner that you weren't available to see before. I want virtual reality to become prescribable in lieu of SSRIs and meds that we use to carpet bomb people who have mental disease, which is like anybody, <laughs> like anybody for any reason. We we don't have a way to really truly peer in. It's like the latest neurological research, neuropsychogeographic, psychotherapeutic research is starting to give us an insight. But the best way to know what's going on in your brain is a phenomenological one. And you go, what do you actually see? What are you thinking about? So severance theory, who's doing a thing at five hours is, for example, a half hour piece, live embodied performance piece about someone with borderline personality disorder. It starts off as the innocence of childhood and you see your parents in your home bedroom and then starts, stuff starts to get really weird and really scary. I have members of my own family who have had to deal with some of those challenges. Um, I know that when you have a severe acute panic attack, you can't be consoled. Like you have to go completely counterintuitive and start breathing through your nose to activate your parasympathetic nervous system just so your body stops firing adrenaline and cortisol through your bloodstream and your mind, at which point your eyes, your vision are highly acute, your hearing is highly acute, your blood is pumping, you want to take a shit because you have to like, evacuate your bowel so you can run away from whatever cyber-toothed tiger. And you have to short-circuit it even though the entire construct of your reality is involved in that anxiety. So the reason I care about this stuff is because when I'm in that position and I'm hyperventilating and my extremities are numb and I don't know how to get back, even if I'm being held by the person that I care about, even if I'm with a doctor and I'm like, no, I'm dying. I'm in the ER. My heart's going to stop. You have to have the elasticity to go. This isn't real. 
Yeah. There's a buffer between the phenomenological experience and the part of my of the part of my brain that goes, that is a construct. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, I feel like I feel like very very recently, like a week ago, I had myself a nice little anxiety uh, thing. You know, after a week of having COVID and not really smoking or anything like that, I took a fucking huge hit off of the bong, and I'm like laying there watching TV, like on the tail end of COVID, and like. I start to like basically have a acute anxiety attack. Like I'm like, oh shit, here it is. Like this is the feeling of death. Like, and this is definitely it. And man, this I might be on my way out right now, you know. But even though I'm able to like step back and say, hey, wait a second, nope, that's not the case. You just smoked weed and you're a little sick, but it's okay, you know. And like I'm like able to like recognize that that experience is not probably not my like. I don't know, reality or destiny or whatever, um, it still ends up running its course. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not sure that I can say or do anything. Like, I guess this is to your point to really like pull myself off of that ride until it just, until my body chills out or whatever it is. That yeah. I mean, the one thing I can tell people is nobody, nobody has ever died of an anxiety attack. Um, you might die of other things, but you're not going to die of an anxiety attack. Your body was will stop at a certain point and go, well, okay, I think I've sent out the alarm. I'm not going to, like, level the building. Right. Um, but it does take its toll over time on your, par you know, on your nervous system. So it has to be able to be managed. Like, when I was 17 and I had my first anxiety attack, I remember being at a restaurant with my friend, and all of a sudden I went to the bathroom. And I was like, ah... I feel like I'm outrunning myself and I don't know how to slow down or stop. And I went home and I jumped on the bed and I was like, everything was wrong. And there was no education around it. Doctors didn't even call it that. They didn't, they gave you a Xanax or an Ativan and they sent you home and they're like, good luck. That'll calm you down. <laughs> it was an entire psychic construct that is a feedback loop that plays back on itself. You go, oh, I'm feeling a little weird. Maybe I should check that out. And then that turns into a feedback recursion loop that starts to accelerate the pace of your heart and your anxiety, uh, sorry, your adrenaline. And so you have to be able to short circuit it. Anyways, to the point, VR is a method. Like, I'm really glad there's lots of cool games. I'm glad that, you know, like population one or whatever onward and stuff are out there and they're really good their games are an important way to move the fidelity and the challenges of a medium forward certainly so is five hours five hours is a way to explore all the various different modalities by which we can express ourselves and not get stuck in a corner but the bigger purpose of this is to understand how we think and i often think of vr as like a fossil record of human consciousness because if you take if you were like the next thing that comes after humans and you picked up a VR headset, you go, what's this thing all about? Oh, this is how humans perceive shit? Like, this is all it takes to trick a human into believing that they're in a time right. and place, like, total Mel Slater style? That's what is we're doing. We don't need to express more than we see. In fact, low-poly VR is just as effective as high-poly VR. It's, not, it's often more effective because it's suggestive. It's letting your brain do the rest of the work. And your brain's like, oh, I'll glom onto that and fill in the details. All of a sudden, you're like, oh. Whereas if you try to be hyper-real, you fall into uncanny valleys, and your brain rejects it. because goes, ah, you're trying to trick me. Right. Man, that's such right? an interesting line to walk, huh? 
Yeah. Like I think I think you feed the brain just enough and then it kind of gloms on and it fills in the blanks in a way. What's more important is the fidelity of the movement. Again, I would study Mel Slater's work and understanding like that threshold at which you cross over into a sense of uh, presence and you know, it happens in five hours. Like we'll put people into an experience and there's like about a minute and a half before they forget that they're actually still in the space. Like they're now gone and you can walk away from them. But there's like that like threshold moment where they're like, oh yeah, you still with me? Yeah, can I step over here? And then they're boom, gone. That's why the back of my five hours t-shirt says tune out, drop in. Um, because it's that drop in moment where your brain cannot hold those two things at the same time at a certain point. Even if it's low poly. Right. Yeah. This is all amazing. I'm loving this. So I, for me anyway, this is like kind of like a natural progression of this conversation. Um, I'm curious as to how much or how often or if at all you entertain simulation theory as, you know, the reality that we're experiencing. Yeah. Great question. Uh, I don't think we know anything. I mean, the, the, I definitely track astrophysics. I have my whole life. My godfather is like an astronomer and uh, um, the things that we're finding out in the last few years about the bubble, the foamy bubble universe that we live in and the way that it loops back on itself and how there are hundred billion light year wide galaxies hiding in plain sight right in front of us. Um, what am I supposed to say? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, mean I it's, know, it's a form of, I think that the, you know, when we try to explain higher dimensions than four to ourselves, we have to go into a level of abstraction, just like in the book, obviously flatland where a dot that lives in a universe of dots is trying to understand what a line is mm. for the line. It's very easy to explain to the dot. You know, it's like a bunch of dots and like in a line and the dots like what I don't dot is all that there is. That's the maximum. So when we try to go up to the higher levels of dimensional thinking, we can say, okay, well you can draw it like, you know, this like tetrahedron three dimensional thing. And that's kind of what it would be like, but that has nothing to do with our consciousness's ability to parse that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a simulation in some way. Do I think that we live inside of frickin, you know, John Anderson's stupid video game demo? No, not nothing like that. <laughs> but I definitely think that there is, and do I think that there's like something like um, what we would call a god? A god, like a big giant sky daddy with a beard? Absolutely not. But do I think that the whole of it could be called god in the sense that it's all in some way intertwined and that it's not just random particles. Of course, of course it is. I mean, the implication of the word simulation says that this is a practice run, but creativity here is being wholly expressed. And so is entropy. And so it's not a simulation, even if it is by design or not by design, the whole fucking thing happened. It's happening right now. And it uh, is that's it's to me, this is as real as a VR experience is, is real. When I'm in a VR experience with somebody that I love, love being the fifth element, then that happened. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was for practice or for real or for fake. So the answer is no, we're not in a simulation. The whole thing is happening and it's destroying and building itself back up again, whether or not there is an operator at some higher dimensional layer that has blueprints or something. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a great answer. You know, I mean, <clears throat> no one knows, right? Just to your point, we don't know. No one knows anything, you know, but I sometimes take our, like, our desire and our drive to go into deeper realities and to go into VR and to simulate and to do all of those things as, like, I don't know, almost evidence that, you know, there's a good op- good chance that we're not on in the base level reality, you know, because it's like, it's like, hey, let's see what happens when, uh, you know, th- like I, I would have to have like loved simulation in order to agree to go into this simulation. And then when I get in here, I still love simulation. So I'm now trying to put on VR headsets and I'm trying to play MMORPGs and I'm like trying to put myself into more universes, even though I'm already in this one, you know, like my desire to continue to go deeper rather than just shutting the fuck up and walking out into the woods and like breathing the air and like doing all of that shit to me almost makes me feel like there's a good chance that they're, you know, that we're not at the base level because if I just chose to play a game, wouldn't I just go play it? Why would I like play an MMORPG, but then like design a new game within it, you know? And like now we'll only play by those rules, you know, it seems like yeah, but we like are a natural that. progression yeah. of just like going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Can I give you an answer to this? That's a little different. Yes. Okay. So you are um, a multi-celled organism that looks for energy in order to sustain itself. Right. And that's an intrinsic and indomitable action that you're going to take. You require energy to exist. You're not some sort of anaerobic, even, even an anaerobic deep sea, whatever is going to find its form of energy. That is the gut. You are, you are not a brain. You are a stomach that developed an antenna called a brain that said, this is my periscope to outpace the other things that are trying to find the same source of energy. And in so doing, you're going to say, I'm going to outwit them, not just by being faster, having faster legs, sharper fangs, you know, keener vision, but I'm going to do it by predicting the future. I'm going to like create a simulation of this same scenario tomorrow, right now. And therefore, by the time they even think of getting there on their fast legs, I'll already be there. And so you do that and you evolve in such a way where that becomes more and more significant. Okay, besides the fact that like humans have now, we're figuring out been on the planet for like 300,000 years, not 12,000 or whatever we thought. Um. And you do a bunch of mushrooms in the middle and you do a bunch of st- like, the, right. you know, our earliest temples were basically to smoke bongs and crack something open. So we crack that thing open and we go, oh, actually, I can go outside of just my habituated lizard like thinking and I'm going to like increase my ability to like look at the stars for their patterns and navigate by that and follow certain tracks in the forest, et cetera, et cetera. And we developed this hyper um advanced method of predicting or or of hypothesizing future outcomes so that we can get to energy. And so, yes, then we create even more efficient mechanisms of creating future hypotheses scenarios, which are called games. I mean, the video game industry is what, eight years old? You know, it's like, what, 50 years old? Like... We the game industry just said in the last twenty years, hey, we're an industry, you know. In the last ten years, it was like maybe we should like have unions and like rights and not be dicks and stuff. Like it's so new, but 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 board games have been around for a really long time. Games are around. What are games? Games are hypotheses. They're simulations. They're you know methods of distilling down and miniaturizing the larger problem so that we can get to the energy. Or like I said at the very beginning of this talk, finite and infinite 
games. There will be a victor and there will be a loser, and the victor will continue to live, thrive, proliferate, and the loser will be effectively removed from further opportunity to play. So when you go, ah, oh, there must be a simulation because I do things like a simulation, it's like, no, you do things like a simulation because you want more energy, and this is the way that you, a human, handle that and be careful because what you're doing is you're in an anthropocentric view that means a human specific point of view that's the same one that goes oh well the the sun goes from the horizon to horizon every day therefore it must be circling us right. oh when i look out across the horizon it's all flat so therefore the earth must be flat right. that's an anthropocentric view and so we go oh because i simulate we must be in a simulation that's an anthropocentric view but I challenge you to look up object-oriented ontology and people like um, Harmon and whatever who write about what is the phenomenological life of a thing, of an object, of a rock. I say, well, rocks have energy. Okay, fuck. So let's say of space dust, what is the phenomenological impact and quantum potentiality of space junk? It's there. It's warping the quantum field right it has nothing to do with your form of consciousness it's why when we run into alien life we will have no idea that it's there because it will be so truly by definition of the word alien alien to us that we do not have the dimensional perspective to even perceive its existence it's sitting in f plain sight in front of us so that's what i think about the simulation that's amazing I, best, maybe best answer I think we've ever received from I, that. Yeah, dude, <laughs> I could do this for another two hours. I know. Like, I feel I know. like we just got into it now because there's, I mean, this is a realm that we absolutely love to explore on this show. And uh, everything that you've brought to this conversation has just been absolute gold, Karim. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing your perspective and your years of expertise to this conversation. And uh I think next time we chat, which I hope happens one day, uh, we will start closer to the, where we were at the end of this conversation so we can really start diving deep and get some more answers like the one that you just gave us. I appreciate that very much. I, I appreciate you've created a platform for this kind of conversation and that you, um, you know, I, you've been around for years and we've never had a chance to speak. It's a huge industry. There's a lot of people in it. And um, I value what you do because I also value what my team does, just holding that line to let voices have a chance to go a little bit beyond the Twitter headline. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it took us, you know, probably a good uh, 45 minutes to an hour of like acclimating, asking the right questions and peeling away layers off before we can get to this. So this is not something that can just be instantaneously jumped into. And you're like, all right, so anyway, let's talk philosophically right now. You know, like it's, there's like a process to it all. And, um, you know, I, this feels great. And uh, like I said, I would love to continue it one day. So thanks so much for uh, coming onto the show and uh, being a part of this, man. It was an awesome time. Absolutely. Thanks, every, gentlemen. Everyone Appreciate here, it. make sure you check out uh, uh, Karem's uh, social stuff. Check out the website for VRTO. Check out the Fiverr stuff. Make sure that, that you follow, um, you know, and, and, and just, just be a part of everything that's happening here because, because Karem is making amazing moves in this industry. And, uh, and I'm so happy to talk to you today. Yeah. Just so happy. This Appreciate is it. awesome, man. So um, I guess we'll, we'll call it. Uh, everybody say goodbye to Karim. He was amazing guest on Between Realities. Thank you so much for being here. We'll Bye, see you Karen. next time. Thank you. Have a great uh, He's gone. Just like that. Oh, where, who's oh. our next guest? Oh, geez. Diva? I screwed that up. 
man, what a what an awesome awesome right? talk. Um, that was that was that was awesome. That's that is where we're trying to get every yes. single week. For sure, <laughs> that is where we're trying to get right there. So for sure, that is an, an amazing between realities conversation. And uh, Karen was a great guest, um, and we had a great audience too. You know, Dean up in here and Shortstack, Aphrodite and Reese the King and Wolf Raza and Ashley Huffman and Hussein X and Chroma Snare and. Chase Buckley and uh, and uh, Azrael and uh, Dean and um, dude yes. and, and Pabark who uh, was dropping the the super chats, brother. Thank you for that, man. You're heck yeah. You're I mean, you know, you being here alone makes me warm inside. Um, but donations, of course, make us really warm inside, ultra warm and fuzzy. So <laughs> thank you uh, to ET. 2K9 now and Red Legend Gaming. It's nice to see you in the chat, dude. Good to see you. Um, All right. So next week we have Eric for president. Ooh, heck yeah! We love one Eric. of our one of our homies. Uh, you know, long term uh, VR resident uh, in our community. So love talking to him and getting his perspective on a lot of the things yeah. that are happening. He's a smart dude. He's yep. got a great YouTube channel. He uh, works for Big Box, creators of Population One over at uh, Oculus. He just me- recently moved to the West Coast to be a part of that. Yep. And uh, he is a smart dude who um, I think we're going to have a great conversation with next week. Heck yeah. Excited for that. Tribe Grey Wolf, person, person, everyone else who's been here, thank you all so very much. Thank you. Uh, we will see you a week from now Yep. with Eric for President. All right. Have a great weekend. Adios, everyone. Bye-bye.